And as you make your way there, I do want to say thank you so much for those who have been praying. I almost wasn't able to be here today. I thought that we were not going to be able to be here. Pastor was uh, on deck ready to preach. But uh, for those of you that don't know, and I won't go into great detail, but there was have been some complications with my wife's pregnancy. And, uh, and uh, so you just be in prayer for her and be in prayer for our little girl. We're about 33 and a half weeks, so we're almost there. And, uh, but anyways, uh, nonetheless, we uh, are thankful to be here tonight. Thank you so much for praying. While I say that, could I also say uh, to be in prayer for Miss Sarah and uh, Brother Alex and uh, be in prayer for their baby. Uh, Brother Chip mentioned several months ago, but there's some complications there as well. And so they would appreciate your prayers. They're uh, not here with us tonight. They're on vacation. And so uh, just be in prayer that the Lord would have his will. Uh, and, and we actually came home this afternoon, uh, came home from the hospital and found that we had been broken into, had some stuff stolen. And so it's been a wonderful day today. Amen. But I was thinking as I was making my way up to the church, uh, how many of you were here for Brother Hightower when he preached a couple of months ago? It's better than hell. It's better than hell, amen? If you don't get what I'm saying, I'm not trying to be vulgar. You have to listen to that message. But uh, by way of introduction, if I could ask you to participate tonight, and I want you to get out a pen and get out a piece of paper, and I want you to do something for me. Are you all in Second uh, Kings chapter 5? All right, so you don't have to multitask. So just grab a piece of paper, and I want you to get a pen out. If you don't have a pen, I've got a pen. Who needs a pen? Anybody? There you go. It's not a nice pen. I stole it from Brother Chip before he left, so... And I want you to write down this question, or the answer to this question, rather. What is my greatest need? All right? What is my greatest need? Don't write, what is my greatest need? I want you to answer that question. I'm talking personalize it. Brother Lance, I want you to write down your greatest need. Miss Kristen, your greatest need. Miss Cindy, uh, Sydney, your greatest need. Write down your greatest need. All right, and if you don't have one, uh, world peace, world hunger to be ended, then uh, you need to really do some self-evaluation. And so you don't have to be over-spiritual either. Uh, you don't have to pray for a vibrant prayer life or pray. I mean, just be honest. What, what's your heart heavy about tonight? I could say it that way. Uh, what are you passionate about and you want the Lord's interceding about? And so write down that question, the answer to my, that question. My greatest need is this, okay? And uh, don't be distracted with it. Uh, put that to the side. We'll come back to it here in just a little bit. We're in 2 Kings chapter 5, and uh, we're reading about Naaman. Pastor just briefly referenced it on Sunday, and I was a little nervous and scared that he was going to go into it, but he didn't, so I'm glad to be able to preach to you. Uh, 2 Kings chapter 5, the story of Naaman. How many of you, just before we read, you know the story of Naaman. He was dipped uh, seven times into the Jordan River, and he came up clean from leprosy. I'm not spoiling the story. Hopefully you know the story. But if not, let's look at it. Verse number 1 down through verse 14, it says, Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable, because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captives out of the land of Israel, a little maid. And she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, Would God, my Lord, were the prophet that is in Samaria? For he, hath, uh, excuse me, for he would recover him of his leprosy. And one went in and told his Lord, saying thus and thus, saith the maid that is of, uh, of the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go to go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him ten, ten, uh, talents, uh, uh, ten talents of silver and six thousand pieces of gold and ten changes of raiment. And he brought the letter of the king of Syria, saying, Now when this letter is come unto thee, behold, I have therewith sent Naaman my servant to thee, that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. 
And it came to pass when the king of Israel had read the letter that he rent his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man doth send unto me to recover a man of leprosy? Wherefore consider, I pray you, and see how uh, he seeketh a quarrel against me. And it was so when Elisha, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him come now to me. And this is something you never want to hear a preacher say. And he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. Verse number uh, nine, it says, So Naaman came into, uh, excuse me, Naaman came with his horses and with his chariots and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. But Naaman was wroth. And said, uh, excuse me, and went away and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come unto me and stand and call on the name of the Lord of his God and strike his hands over the place and recover the leper. Are not uh, 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 Abana and uh, Fairpar uh, fair rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. And his servant came near and spake unto him and said, My father... If the prophet had bid uh, thee do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? How much rather then, when he saith to thee, wash and be clean? Then went he down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. For just a few moments tonight, in light of our text and in light of our series, we've been preaching, or rather this is the second message last week, preached on uh, the introductory message of the series entitled Shattered, Broken People Used by God. Broken People Used by God. And tonight I'd like to talk to you simply about this subject in light of that series, in light of the story of Naaman. Only the shattered get sanctified. Only the shattered get sanctified. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and let's pray tonight. Lord, I pray again once just briefly that you'd be with me tonight. Fill me with your power and uh, again that you would help me to uh, begin to expound upon the scriptures and that I would say nothing uh, that you don't want me to say and I'd say everything that you do want me to say. Lord, I pray that you would uh, be with those who are listening and and for those, uh, maybe there's some who have written some heavy needs down as we just mentioned before uh, and they're dealing with serious brokenness and serious heartache and serious pain because of difficulty. Lord, I pray that we'd be a blessing to them. I pray that we'd be a blessing to everyone, Lord, and really the context of Scripture and what we could derive in a New Testament application would be this. You make those sinners clean through the blood of your, Jesus, uh, your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, if there's somebody tonight who does not know you, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. Lord, thank you so much for giving us this opportunity to come and for you to speak. Lord, I pray that you do that very thing in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for reading with me. I asked you to write down the question, what, what is my greatest need? And I don't know if any of you took opportunity to pers- participate in that. I hope that you did and that you wrote down what your greatest need was. Now here's step number two. Next to that need, I want you to write down this reference. Matthew 5, 3. All right? Matthew 5 and verse 3. We read it last uh, week as just a, maybe a, a compliment to Isaiah 57, 15. And it says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The word blessed literally means this, happy or joyful. And this might sound like a profound statement, but did you know that God wants you to be happy? He does. I'm not, a, I'm not a progressive modern day preacher. I'm not trying to tickle ears tonight. But did you know that God wants you to be happy? God desires that you would be filled with the joy of the Lord. He wants that for you. 
I've heard many preachers unfortunately get up and they preach something along the lines of God does not care about your happiness. He only wants your obedience and there's a partial truth to that. At the end of the day, God does want your obedience regardless of your happiness. But did you know that a byproduct of obedience is gonna be the joy of the Lord? It's gonna be a natural part of obedience. If you follow the Lord and you follow after his will, you're gonna be happy. Your circumstance, uh, circumstances might not be conducive of that, of uh, what the world would consider a happy person, and things might not go your way, but I promise you this, having been a Christian for some 20-something years, every time I do the will of the Father, even when it doesn't end up like I'd like it to, I'm always filled with the joy of the Lord. God wants you to be happy, but he also wants you to be obedient. Proverbs 29 and verse number 18, I love this verse. It says, where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keepeth the law, what? Happy is he. Psalm uh, 119 verse 165 says, Great peace or happiness have they that love thy law and nothing shall offend them. God does care about your happiness. He desires that you're happy. He desires that you're filled with the joy of the Lord. But understand this, and we made this statement last week, so I want you to just listen. If this is, who's, who, this is your first week. You were not here last week. If you'd raise your hand, great. I'm gonna just bring you up to speed. I could summarize, summarize last week's message in just one statement. The product of blessing only comes through the path of brokenness. Did you hear me? The product of blessing only comes through the path of brokenness. And we're going to see this evening a man that had great need. Talking about that man, Naaman. He had a great need. Naaman had a need that he could not meet himself. And the only way he was going to experience blessing was through this path of brokenness. He had, he wanted, and we understand that we have the benefit of reading the end of the story. We know that he ends up being blessed. He ends up receiving his, uh, uh, his uh, request that was made out before the Lord. He wanted to be healed of, of this leprosy. And he ends up having the blessing of the Lord. But it did not come just through a nothingness. It came through the path of brokenness. And I'm not just talking about a physical brokenness. Yes, he had leprosy, but we're going to see that his path was, all, or excuse me, the blessedness also came about through a breaking of his spirit, a breaking of his will, his self-sufficiency and his self-dependency and his, love this word, pride. Uh, I know of a pastor, his name is Pastor Curley, Ron Curley, and he's a pastor in Tennessee, and uh, he shared this illustration years ago. I, I don't even remember uh, when it was, but it was sometime when I was a child, and I remember it stuck with me, but he talked about this very thing. And uh, in Tennessee, there's not a lot of, uh, you don't get early snow. Well, this one year, they got early snow, and similar to our church, the church is located at the top of a hill. And so, uh, how many of you have ever, ever tried to make it up 228th when there's any snow? And how many of you have just turned around and gone home, okay? All right, so you understand that it's, it's a very dangerous thing to be driving in the snow, and so they didn't make the call on Sunday morning, chose to have services, and just a handful of people showed up, not for lack of effort, but no one could get up the hill, and so they made the decision. They're gonna cancel Sunday evening service, and so uh, this was back before the ancient, I mean, way years ago before cell phones, long time ago. It's not like they could text everybody or whip out their app. How many of you have downloaded the app? How many of you are going to be happy come Christmas time? Is service canceled or not? I just got an app. I got, I got a notification. You need to download the app. I wrote that in, a little commercial there. But this was long before they were able to just pick up the phone and call their membership. And so uh, they tried to get the word out the best they could. But nonetheless, Pastor uh, Curley and one of his deacons decided to stay there at the church. And they were going to wait. And uh, once uh, Sunday evening service rolled around, they were going to let people know that didn't get the memo to turn around and go home. They're not going to have service that night. And so started service at, I don't know, 6 o'clock. Our service was supposed to start at 6 o'clock. Waited a few moments. Had some people pull in. Informed them no church. So they turned around. And so now it's time for them to go home. And Pastor Curley is 
beginning to walk to his car, and his deacon walks to his car. And as Pastor Curley is crossing the driveway, his deacon is, you know, pulling around, and he's coming and doing the Baptist wave, and he's, he's going, and he begins to hydroplane. And he's coming right for Pastor Curley. And he ran Pastor Curley over. I'm, t- I'm serious, he hit him. Now he's only going a couple of miles an hour, but I'm talking the velocity of a big car. Hit Pastor Curley, knocked him on his blessed assurance. And uh, uh, by the way, if you don't like Pastor Farinella, just set up a meeting, don't run him over and uh, don't run him down with your car or anything like that. But this is a true story. His deacon ran him over with the car and he br- uh, runs into a fence and runs over and tries to check on Pastor Curley and Pastor Curley gets up and uh, he's shaken. His leg hurts, but he's fine. Got a couple of bumps and bruises. He's like, I'm fine, brother. I'm just gonna go home. And the deacon insisted, no, Pastor, please, let me take you to the emergency room. There could be something wrong. And so against his better judgment, he goes to the emergency room and and uh, the doctor comes in and they say, okay, tell us about what happened. And he informs him about how his deacon ran him over. And uh, he said, okay, you have any, uh, feel anything? He said, my leg kind of hurts, but I, I feel fine. Honestly, this is just a uh, precautionary. He said, well, we're going to take some x-rays. And he said, okay, that's fine. And so they take some x-rays. The doctor leaves and hours pass. Like, I, I, I was at the doctor today and I hate waiting in the doctor's office because it's only like 30 minutes, but it feels like three hours. But I'm serious, hours had passed, and he was like, what's going on? I should have the results back by now. And the doctor comes in with a solemn look on his face, and he says, you need to call your wife. He's like, what's the deal? Uh, What do you mean? What's wrong? Is it broken? And he said, you have masses all over your body, and your body is ridden with cancer. And I'm happy to report that they caught it early enough where they were able to go in and surgically remove the masses and they were able to, uh, they were able to uh, start chemotherapy and to this day he's still the pastor of that church there in Tennessee and uh, he's, uh, he's free of cancer, praise the Lord, but talk about uh, a blessing through the path of brokenness. He literally said in order for him to find out about that cancer, his deacon had to run him over. <laughs> blessing disguised in the area of brokenness. Oh no, I saw Brother Gascoigne raise his hand. You volunteer this Christmas. Okay, run Pastor down. Don't do that, please. We love Pastor. Naaman had a great need. But I want you to notice and understand that Naaman's greatest need was not his leprosy at all. His greatest need was not what it looked like at first glance, and maybe not even what it looks like at first glance when we read the story. A few things I'd like us to notice really quickly by way of introduction. Now, don't be afraid of that term because uh, we're gonna be out by eight o'clock tonight, so I have some points that I'd like to build off of. So this is not the message yet. This is just the introduction. I'd like to build a case in regards to Naaman. So really quickly by way of introduction, there's some things I want us to notice about Naaman. Number one, I want us to notice the background of Naaman. Okay, the background of Naaman. Let's look at the background of this great man. That's what the text says in verse number one, a great man, Naaman. Uh, First, I want us to notice he was a capable leader. Verse number one, he was a capable leader. Now, Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable. The first thing we see of this man, Naaman, is he had it all put together. He was a man of renown. He was a man of great esteem. He was a man of excuse me, of great respect. He was a capable leader, but also this, he was a conquering general. Continue reading in verse number one. Because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria, he was also a mighty man in valor. How many of you have ever heard that term in scripture before? A man of valor, okay? That word valor means this, great courage in the face of danger, especially in battle. This guy was no joke. I mean, this guy is not the guy who gets picked last in recess, okay? He's the guy you want on your team. He's a great general. He's a great leader. 
Just within the first portion of the first verse, we can see the incredible credentials of this great man, Naaman. That's his background. He is a great leader, he's a capable leader, and he is a conquering general. But then number two, I want us to also notice, unfortunately, the burden of Naaman, okay? The burden of Naaman, also found in verse number one. We, we start out on such a great point, start out on such a great note. Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but, uh-oh, but he was a leper. He was a leper. Uh, again, he's a great general and a capable leader. He was a man of renown, a man of valor. He was a man of great respect, but he was a leper. A leper. Oh, we don't really talk much about this disease of leprosy. I don't see the Gascoigne, or not the Gascoigne's, but the uh, Olzacks here tonight. But uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, their son was diagnosed with a disease very similar to leprosy. It's a flesh-eating disease. And uh, I looked this up. Currently, right now, there's only 31,000 cases of leprosy in the world today. You say, only? Comparatively speaking to what this disease used to do to people, that's actually a pretty manageable number. 31,000 people uh, have leprosy. And right now, uh, leprosy is really not something to be overly concerned about. I mean, obviously, you don't want it, but if you have it, it's treatable. It's not something like back in the Bible days where it was something that was a terminal illness, like getting diagnosed with stage 5 cancer. I mean, it was terminal. There was nothing that they could do about it. It started just a small little spot maybe on your wrist like a boil and it would begin to spread over your whole body and your body would become desensitized to feeling because of lack of circulation where there's actually stories of people that could stick their hand in furnaces and not feel the flame and your body would begin to deteriorate and your body would begin to literally fall apart where your fingers and your thumbs and your toes and your appendages would begin to fall off. And in the book of Leviticus, God commanded the people, hey, if you have leprosy, whenever you're 25 feet away from another individual, you need to call out unclean, unclean. It was a serious, debilitating disease. It didn't matter how great of a leader Naaman was. It didn't matter how good of a leader he was, whether or not he was a conquering general. It didn't matter about this wealth that we read about that he had. It didn't matter about anything else that Naaman had. This was bigger than Naaman, okay? This was bigger than Naaman. Thirdly, I'd also like us to see the breaking of Naaman. The breaking of Naaman. God is going to do amazing work through this man, Naaman. And again, we know the end of the story. He's going to bring Naaman to a point where he has a platform to give glory, honor, and reverence, not to the God of Syria, but to the God of the Israelites, this is a big deal. God's going to bring forth great blessedness. God is going to give Naaman, again, a platform to give him great glory and honor and praise. But it wasn't going to happen without breaking. Okay? It wasn't going to happen without breaking. So we've developed who this man Naaman is. And we've kind of given an, over-vision or a, 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 an overview of, of, this, of this story of Naaman. And coming to this point of brokenness. And really quickly tonight, we're going to see how God is going to break down the pride self-dependence and self-sufficiency of this man, Naaman. All right, we're done with the introduction. Now let's get into the message tonight. If you're taking notes, number one, I want you to write this down. I'd like us to notice a compassionate captive, a compassionate captive in verse number two. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captives of, uh, out of the land of Israel, a little maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife, and she said unto her mistress, Would God, my Lord, were the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. You know what this little girl is literally saying? Hey, I want you to meet my preacher. I want you to meet my preacher. I know of a guy that can bring forth healing. Uh, and so, uh, hold on a second. Before we continue, can you just wrap your mind around just the magnitude of this? We've developed this thought, who this man Naaman was. 
Here's this little slave girl. She's an, uh, she's an Israelite, and there she is. And again, she's a slave, and here's this man of renown, and she brings forth this, I mean, wacko idea. I mean, surely compared to the boneheaded ideas that he's heard up to this point, this little maiden girl, this little maiden slave comes to him and says, hey, I need you to go talk to my preacher, and he does it. I mean, can you imagine? He does it. I'm sure, being a man of wealth, I'm sure he's gone through different avenues of trying to obtain healing. I'm sure he's tried all sorts of different crazy things. But listening to this little slave girl, and he didn't even hear it from her. He heard it from his servant who heard it from her. And can you imagine as he's making his way down to Samaria, everybody knew who he was, and so he had to stay at least a reasonable distance away from those. But could you imagine as people were watching him and as he's making his way back to Samaria, hey, isn't that Naaman? Hey, Naaman, what you doing over there? I'm heading to Samaria. Oh, wait, why are you going there? We already conquered that city. Well, I'm, I'm going to receive healing. Oh, where, why, why are you going to Samaria to receive healing? This little slave girl told me to. I mean, can you imagine? Uh, and again, in a moment, we're gonna talk about all the different names that we hear mentioned. Obviously, we have Naaman, and we know the story of Naaman, and we hear the story about the prophet Elisha, or excuse me, the prophet Elisha and his servant. We hear about king, but we never, ever talk about this little girl. And I thought that was interesting. I knew that she was there, but how many of you will be honest? When you think of the story of Naaman, you think of Elisha and Naaman and no one else. But who told him where to find healing? This little girl. And I'm not gonna build off of this, but I'm gonna chase a 30-second rabbit. This is what the Lord taught me this week about this. You are never too small or insignificant to do great things for God. The, I, mean, I love reading the scripture, and I love reading about the big things that big people did, but all the way you see little maidens just like this girl. God uses the compassion of this captive to tell Mr. Big Shot himself where to find healing. Hey, and, and I mean, she had every reason, maybe even to be bitter at Naaman, to be angry at Naaman, but none, nonetheless, she knew this. I know where he can find healing. I'm gonna tell him where to go. So we see the compassionate captive. Number two, I want us to know this, uh, notice this, an enormous expectation. An enormous expectation. Again, so here's the scene. You've got Naaman, the man of valor, an intellectual leader, a wealthy man who had no want, a man of dignity and respect, but he has this big burden of leprosy, okay? Here's this little maid, a girl from Israel, a servant slave with no reputation. We don't even know her name. Bible doesn't even reference her name. She tells Naaman, again, to go, and he listens, he obeys, he responds, and he goes there to Samaria. I've already drawn the groundwork. And he appears before the king of Syria. And then he marches his way down to the king of Syria with the endorsement letter that he got from the king. And I kind of want you to understand what his expectation was. When he goes in, they had no dealings with the Samaritans. They had no dealings with the Israelites, rather. They, they were too high and lofty. They had already whooped him up in battle a couple of times. And so he comes in, and I believe that the context of Scripture would have us believe that he marches in, he throws the offerings at his feet, he gives them the letter endorsement, and he says, hey, just heal me real quickly, and I'll make my way back to Syria. Would you just hurry up and give me the healing process? I want to get out and get in as quickly as I possibly can. Verse 7, it says it. And it came to pass when the king of Israel had read the letter that he rent his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man doth send unto me to recover a man of his leprosy? And then he begins to overthink it and overanalyze it. And he says, Wherefore, consider, I pray you, and see how he seeketh a quarrel against me. He's so dumbfounded by the request, he begins to overthink things, and he's like, oh my goodness, you know what this guy's doing? He's the king is sending over this man Naaman, one of his generals, to come, and he asked an impossible task of me, and when I don't come through and I don't perform this miracle, they're gonna come back and they're gonna whip us up again. Rents his clothes. 
before we continue, I wanted you to notice this really quickly. This is how, this is how Naaman comes before the king. Number one, he comes to him with his human resources. He comes to him with his human resources. Verse five again, it says, and the king of Syria said, go to go, I pray, uh, excuse me, I, I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him 10 talents of silver and 6,000 pieces of gold and 10 changes of raiment. So in modern day equivalents, this is about a half a million dollars that he takes with him to bring before the king. And he's got ten, ten uh, changes of raiment. Those were not raiments meant for him. Remember, he has leprosy. This is a gift that he's, he's providing for the king. In all, and he's offering this, this uh, gift to the king in exchange for healing. Here's what he's doing. He's trying to buy his way out of the problem. He comes with human resources. Not only that, but also he comes with a haughty reputation. A haughty reputation. He gets this letter and he comes before the king of, of uh, Israel and he brings the letter before the king, uh, excuse me, from the king of Syria and he says, hey, I've got this letter and he reads the letter, we already read it, but it, it's almost as though he comes in, he grabs the lapel of the royal garment, throws the money at his feet and he says, okay, heal me now and I'll be on my way. Now you're before a king, but do you think for a moment that this general, I mean, I'm talking ranks here, this general Syrian of the Syrian army is afraid of the king of Israel? Not one bit. Why? They've already defeated him in battle before. And so I, I kind of picture it this way. He comes and he brings his human resources, but he also comes in, do you know who I am? Do you, uh, can you, can you, am I reading into the text too much? Uh, do you know who I am? I am the general. Uh, and before they told him, remember, you gotta stay 25 feet away. Not in this case, marches right into the palace, right before all the king's uh, people and before the king himself appears and he says, heal me now. Why? Because I'm Naaman. My reputation uh, just, uh, just to be clear, I've also brought a little bit of an offering, a little bit of a tip, if you will. Uh, in other words, he's carrying himself as though he's still in control. Did you catch that? He's carrying himself as though he does not realize that this man, Naaman, is ridden with a disease called leprosy. I mean, he's ridden with this disease called leprosy. It doesn't matter about his dignified opinion of who he is. You know who he really is? The leper. He's a leper. He's one who's uh, been ostracized from society, who's been cut off from his family. He's been cut off from everybody else in his kingdom. But in Naaman's mind, I'm still general and I'm still in charge. He's still not broken yet. Verse eight. <clears throat> and it was so when Elisha, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, that he sent the king saying, excuse me, yeah, sent the king saying, wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him come now to me and I mentioned this before, no one laughed. Hopefully you'll laugh this time. Here's what you never want to hear a preacher say. And he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Elisha gets wind of what has taken place and he tells the king, send down Naaman and here's what he's saying. I think I've got a message for him. I think I've got a message for Naaman. Naaman's giving you problems. Renting of clothes, by the way, it's a sign of at your wit's end. I don't know what else I'm going to do. And here's the king. I mean, the king is able to do a lot, but even he has to admit, I don't know what I'm gonna do. He thinks that this conspiracy has been wrought against the people of Israel. He's at his wit's end, and the preacher says, send him my way. I got a message for him. I thought it was funny. Verse nine. So Naaman comes to the horse, uh, with his horses and with his chariots and stood at the door of the house. Did you notice different disposition? Where did he go in the palace? Did he wait at the threshold of the palace? No, marches right in. But when he comes before the man of God, he does not even enter the house of the man of God. He stands at the doorway, doorway of Elisha. Why? Verse number eight says, let him come now unto me and I, uh, excuse me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. Wow, great bold statement from Elisha. 
So there is Naaman at the door of Elisha. And what's funny is, and I, I totally glossed over this. I know this story. I've heard it in Sunday school, but I totally glossed over this. Did you notice that Naaman at this point does not meet Elisha? Later he does, but at this point he doesn't even meet Elisha. He's come all this way, and I'm, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but he's come all this way, and he comes from Syria, and he comes in, and he's desiring to be healed. He comes all this way, and he doesn't even get to meet Elisha. Verse, uh, verse number 10, it says, And Elisha sent a messenger unto him. Sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. Wow. He tells Naaman, his, this dignified general, to go down to this mucky, ugly, dirty, muddy Jordan River and to go dip yourself seven times. And then he just walks away and he leaves. So it's no wonder we have the enormous expectation, but thirdly, we also have a rage-filled response from Naaman. A rage-filled response from Naaman. He made his journey again down to uh, Samaria and appeared before the king. The king sends him over to the prophet Elisha, verse number, uh, and look, at, he goes to the house, uh, excuse me, to the doors of the house of Elisha, and here's the response in verse number 10. Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. But Naaman was wroth, rightfully so. We're going to talk about this in just a second. But Naaman was wroth, and he went away and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come unto me and stand and call on the name of the Lord uh, his God and strike his hands over the place and recover the leper. Are not Ab uh, Abana and uh, uh, Farpar rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. I've come all this way. I've come all this way to receive healing and he has the audacity to tell me to go down to the river Jordan and to dip seven times. I mean, there's all sorts of clean water that I could dip in, but the Jordan, the Baptists hang out there. John the Baptist. I don't want to be around where the Baptists take a bath. I'm too dignified. He still, his, his pride is still not broken. I mean, he has healing right there at, the, at his fingertip. Maybe not fingertips. But he has healing right there. He knows exactly what he needs to do. The man of God has spoken and said, all you have to do is go to the river Jordan and dip seven times. But he's upset. He's frustrated. Spirit's still not broken. Verse 13. And his servants came near. Hold on a second. His servants came near. Did you notice we started with a slave? And we made our way to a servant. Again, I want to say this. There is no job too insignificant for you to great, do great things for God. If you are yielded to the leading of the Holy Spirit, whether it is small or whether it is great, God is not in the business of using big shots. He's, used, he's in the business of using servants and slaves. Verse 13, And his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, a term of endearment. Now hold on, before we continue, a term of endearment. He's speaking, uh, remember, he has leprosy. And his servants obviously were close to Naaman. His servants obviously loved Naaman. His servants obviously did not care about uh, getting a little bit dirty and maybe being exposed to this disease. Why? Because they loved Naaman. Uh, this is just off the whim. I'm, I'm, I'm following the leading of the Holy Spirit. But don't be afraid of the dirtiness of the world that you're too dignified to get out and share the gospel with dirty people. Wow. He says, my father, a term of endearment. He says, if the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? How much rather then, when he saith unto thee, wash and be clean? In other words, he's saying, you came with your pockets loaded. You came with your reputation. You were so excited, or excuse me, you were so dignified. You were willing to do whatever it took. But this one small little thing that the preacher's telling you to do, you're not willing to do it. 
just dip yourself seven times into the Jordan wall. You were, you were willing to do great things. What about this small thing? After hearing the address from his servants, Naaman's rage turns to repentance as he makes his way down to the Jordan River, which brings us to our last point. The sanctification, number four, of a shattered sinner. The sanctification of a shattered sinner. Verse number 14. Then went he down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child. Now hold on, before we read that great next statement. His flesh came to him uh, like that of a little child. You know what I believe? I believe that his appendages grew back. This was not just a healing, but this was a miraculous act of God. This was something that was supernatural. His flesh was uh, like unto the flesh of a little child. And I love this statement. It's one of my favorite statements in the Old Testament. And he was clean. And he was made clean. He was sanctified. He was made whole and made new. Verse 14 tells us, excuse me, verse 15 tells us of the greatest need that uh, was met that day in Jordan. And as I mentioned before, it was not the need to have him healed of leprosy, although that was a great need. And, and humanly speaking, that was the greatest need, but there was a greater need, and it was met in verse number 15. It says, and he returned unto the man of God, that is Elisha, and he and his company and, his, and came and stood before him, and he said, behold, look at this, wow. Behold, now I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Now therefore I pray thee, take a blessing of thy servant. Brokenness. I'm not talking about his physical infirmities. I'm talking about his arrogance and his pride, his self-dependency, his self-sufficiency. He came to, oh, with all of the human resources. He came with his reputation. He came thinking he had everything in control and he carried himself exactly that way. But finally he came to the point of brokenness where he was actually able to be healed of his physical infirmities. But greater than that, he says, I know now there is not another God except for the God of Israel in all the earth. We see Naaman's greatest need was not his leprosy, but his greatest need was the Lord. His greatest need was come to the, come to, coming to the knowledge that there is a God in heaven, one God in heaven, that is God Jehovah. But did you notice, as we mentioned, he could not get to that point of blessedness without going through the process of brokenness. He could not get to that point of physical and spiritual renewal without going through the process of brokenness and pain. And here's a word we used last week, humbling. And I know this is a Wednesday night service and I mentioned it just a moment ago, but I can't help but think of leprosy and compare it to that of the leprosy of sin, the disease of sin. And our, our world is ridden with it. We're all in here and we are, we, are all, we are all decaying and decrepit because of this disease called sin and there is no healing for it save the blood of Jesus Christ. And if you're here tonight, I know it's a Wednesday night, but if you're here tonight and you do not know Jesus as your personal savior, you know you're exactly like Naaman and you are ridden with a disease that you cannot heal in and of your own, uh, own abilities. Doesn't matter your reputation, it does not matter uh, what, what resources you have, it doesn't matter about what, what uh, you have in and of yourself, it cannot heal you from the disease called sin. But Jesus Christ died on the cross. God sent his one and only son to die on the cross to save everybody from our sins that we don't know condemnation. That we might not know condemnation, but it only takes place when you call on his son. That's the salvation application. I wanted to mention that. And, and again, if you don't know Jesus as your personal savior, 
ask myself, ask one of the staff, ask anybody in this room who does know, and we'd love to tell you about it. But I would say the majority, if not 100% of us, are believers in here tonight. We're believers and, and we have been sanctified. And maybe you hear that and you say, praise the Lord, I'm so thankful that I, I am no longer ridden with the disease of leprosy and God fixed me. Hold on a second. Last week we determined that God does not use people that are fixed, but he uses people that are broken. And if you've come to the point of salvation and on this side of the cross you say, I've got it all figured out, God cannot use you. God cannot use you because the same that can be said of, of, of a sinner bound for hell because of the disease called sin it is so that we could say this on this side of the cross that we cannot experience the blessed Christian life without going through the process of brokenness. If you are living your Christian life in your own volition, if you are living dependent upon your persistence or your charisma, or maybe you're facing a difficult circumstance, one that you wrote down tonight, and you're looking at those circumstances and you're saying, I have what it takes to be able to bring forth my requests and bring them to fruition. No, you don't. You have no more power in you to be able to live the victorious Christian life apart from the Savior that Naaman had to be able to heal himself from leprosy without going and obeying the commands of God. The path of blessedness only comes through the process of brokenness. You can't get the product without the process. And so whatever you wrote down tonight, what I want us to do is this. We're going into the prayer time and we'll take opportunity to pray for the requests that were mentioned on the list. But in, in, in addition to that, I want you to take that need before God. And maybe we just need to do some repenting tonight. Maybe, I mean, how many of you have done big things to try to see your needs met? Big things. All he wanted, I, I, if you're willing to do big things, you know what's simplistic? Is humbling yourself and getting on your face before God and saying, I don't have it in and of myself to be able to bring these needs, uh, I, I don't have it in and of, my, uh, of myself to see these needs met, but I do know that you have healing power. Bringing your request before, request before God, maybe just repenting and saying, I've been living in my own power, I've been living in my own reputation, I've tried everything that I can do, and I can do nothing apart from Jesus Christ. We cannot experience the product of blessedness without the process of brokenness. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you'd be with us tonight. Thank you so much for uh, speaking even to me this week, Lord, and, and just the different things that we've gone through. And there's been many times in my life where I have tried and I have tried and I have tried to do my own thing and to, uh, even, even, even though my, my uh, endeavors were, were pure and I wanted to see great things happen, I was doing it apart from your power. Lord, I pray that you would help everybody in the sound of my voice. There's big things that we need answered tonight. There's big things that we'd like to see happen but nothing happens apart from you. Nothing good happens apart from you. Nothing that will bring that blessedness and that joy that we spoke about, Lord, happens apart from you. Lord, I pray that we would put aside our, our self-efficiency and our self-dependence and our pride, and we'd have full uh, dependence upon you and your son. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to us tonight and help us as we deal with you, bring these requests before you. Lord, I pray that you'd help us uh, and all the requests that were mentioned again tonight, do you wanna make mention of those and that you'd help us, uh, Lord, to be more mindful that we ought to be humble and that we ought to walk humbly so that we could experience your blessing. Lord, I pray that you'd uh, dismiss us with your blessing in Jesus' name, amen. We'll go